Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. We're going to begin today with the story of the 2017 federal budget. Well, one aspect of it. And the aspect that we're going to talk about is the one which sees Ottawa setting aside $7 billion in new spending over 10 years for early learning and childcare. Now, where do they get the idea that they can go ahead and plan for 10 years? They know that they're in for four before there has to be another election. Governments all do this. They all say 10 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road, we're going to have this to do or that to do, or we will have accomplished this by then. I doubt that the Liberals will still be in power in 10 years. Who knows? But I seriously doubt it. Anyway, they've set aside $7 billion in new spending over 10 years for early learning and child care. The money will be distributed on a graduating scale beginning next year with $540 million. And by 2027, it will have reached $870 million a year. Parental leave and benefits are extended to 18 months. Parents who opt for 18 months will receive an EI benefit rate of 33% of average weekly earnings instead of the current 55% for 12 months. And uh, the 12-month at 55% of earnings option remains in place. No impact on low-income parents who aren't able to make an EI claim. I've long argued that if you're going to have a child, and I've been called a fascist for this. A lady actually called her on the air and said, you are a fascist. I was going to bleep bleep it at first, and then I thought, no, we'll let it go and see where it all winds up. If you're going to have a child, then plan for the child, then plan to raise the child, because the child needs the parent, and it can be done. What What makes now 18 months the magic number? What makes 18 months the magic number where you can hand your child over to a professional daycare worker? What? Your kid still wants mom or dad or both. So I'm not in favor, never have been in favor of parental leave. And I understand the one-income family reality. For one-income parents, the situation changes. We're going to include your calls in a couple of minutes' time and get your thoughts on not only what the liberals have decided to do, but on the whole issue of parental leave and whether or not parents have the responsibility to be at home, one of them anyway at all times, for their kids, for the benefit of their children. But Catherine Swift joins me. Uh, Catherine's doing double duty today. She's with us in the first hour. We'll be back for Beauties and the Beast. Catherine, as soon as I saw this, I thought of you and the CFIB and, and, and the small business community, the backbone of the Canadian economy. These are the people who do most of the hiring. How's it all going to play out? Oh, not well, I'll tell you, not well. And I don't know where this magic 18 months came from. I can only figure it's sort of just an incremental push because this was increased back in the 90s from six months to a year. And the impact then of a year's absence um, for a small business was horrendous. Uh, if you think about half of the small businesses in Canada have fewer than five employees, <laughs> you, can, you, know, you can figure out the impact of losing even one employee. There's 20% of your workforce or more. And I remember talking to it. I wish it was a veterinarian out in Alberta, a woman who uh, ran this business. She had three of her female employees go on leave at the same time. It, it, was, it was devastating. I mean, that obviously is probably an exception. But there's so many aspects to this. 
I mean, I do, I do believe in some leave, Roy. Maybe we'll differ on that one. Uh, but that being said, the notion, the, the notion that I'm sure the woman that called you a fascist probably thinks this, the notion that you kind of have, you have kids and you really have no responsibility for them, you know? Everybody yeah. else is yeah. supposed to pick up the tab, whether it's subsidized daycare, you know, whatever it may happen to be. Um, I totally disagree with that. Let's well, Catherine, you, who's going to pay for the $7 billion? It'll be the kids of the kids well, yeah, of, the, it'll, of the parents. It'll be the future. Yeah, but this government in Ottawa has implemented a lot of policies that are dumping massive, massive amounts of debt, which just means more taxes, onto future generations. So I guess this at least is consistent, <laughs> consistently bad. But, you know, there's so many aspects to this. 18 months is a huge amount of time for a business to have an employee absent. They're required by law to hold the job open, so they usually either make do best they can. Often the, the business owner works more themselves, or they try to get part-time people in, which, of course, is imperfect. You know, you have to train them and everything. It costs them money, so it'll certainly cost small businesses a gain. By, and all businesses, for that matter, even a large firm, you know, let's face it, a key person leaves. Uh, it's not it's not chopped liver. But the other thing, speaking as a professional female who worked in senior capacities in business for a long time, when women whine and moan about not supposedly earning the same as men, and they really do if you factor out the children issue, you know, if you look at females that don't have kids c- compared to males and so on with the same qualifications, that, that gap disappears. But as a responsible female working for a business, how can you say, I'm going to... I'm going to float off for 18 months. I just, I, I know in my day when I had kids, uh, my maximum leave, and I was still working when I was off, was three months. That was my absolute max I could justify. So there's all kinds of aspects of this that are wrong. Um, but again, I guess it's consistent with this government's massive spending of our dollars uh, and dumping massive amounts of debt onto future generations. And Catherine, it's not just a small business that argues against this. Just reading uh, McLean's story here, child care and labor organizations want the federal liberals to scrap a proposal to extend parental leave for 18 months, fearing it wouldn't help many parents and would be problematic for employers. So you're getting that from the from the labor unions and from the child care professionals. That's, that's very surprising. Now, mind you, what the labor unions really want is a massively costly national government daycare. And what the unions, of course, see is they'd all be unionized. So there's lots more dues, there's lots more dough coming into the union. So that's their angle on this. Um, But naturally, that's a program, again, that would be another bridge too far. So what do the uh, Liberals see in this move, the $7 billion and the extension of parental leave to 18 months? Well, what they clearly see is, 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 you know, uh, our our Prime Minister loves to talk about what a feminist he is, even though he does all kinds of stupid things that are definitely not feminist. Uh, But uh, I suppose this is part of that. Uh, you know, part of that thrust as well. People, look at the government is, is giving you this big bonanza of another six months off. But as you said in your intro, there, there's no additional money here. You're stretching the same amount of money over a longer period of time. But mind you, Roy, they also increased EI premiums in the budget, you probably noticed. So they're, they're already hitting both employers and employees with a higher amount of EI premium at the same time. So this, this will end up costing more, it'll cost business, and it'll ultimately cost government too, which means it costs you and I. I'll never forget the father who called in uh, during one of the discussions we had a few years ago on this issue and parental leave and, and just whether or not parents should, in fact, prepare to be there for their children. You have a two, if you have a two-parent family and you have the potential for one income and, and one fam- family member, one parent is at home at all times. Uh, if that is a, on the table for you, then you should take that, that, that 
view and that position because of the child's needs. And this father called in and he said, you know, Roy, I used to disagree with you on that point. But I went earlier uh, or yesterday, I went, he said, yeah, I went yesterday to pick up my daughter. And she said to the daycare worker, as the daycare worker was handing my daughter to me, the little girl looked at the daycare worker and said, bye, mommy. And he Aww. said, he said, that yeah. was it. That was it. That was wow. it. Yeah, that would that would rock any parents. That, that, that was the end of the plan, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, as you say, though, it's not always possible for everyone. No. And the other thing is, if, if you're a professional female who wants kids, which most of us, I think, do, um, you know, there, there, there has to be some compromise made, obviously. And it, it doesn't mean the children hopefully are, are necessarily, you know, shortchanged by this. But, yeah, the, the perfect ideal would be to have a parent at home. It's just not feasible an awful lot of the time. I guess I'm the old dog with the old stick um, on, this, uh, on this particular issue. But we're going to talk about it some, and we'll talk to you again in uh, about two hours' time. Can hardly wait. Thanks, Catherine. Catherine Bye. Swift, uh, WorkingCanadians.ca. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. I was paying attention to two Angus Reid polls this week, as I'm sure many Canadians were. And the first one was about Canadians. If Canadians, who are not members of Parliament, were voting in Parliament on motion M103, the anti-Islamophobia motion, by Ikra Khalid, the uh, member of parliament, liberal member of parliament in the Toronto area. Um, if it had been the, the non-parliamentary Canadians voting, it would have gone down to defeat. As it was, it was a victory for um, MP Khalid and the Liberal Party and those who supported the motion. 201 members voted for it, 91 voted against. Many of them were conservatives who voted against it. And one of the issues was the fact that Islamoph- Islamophobia is not defined and my position was, the MP who's delivering the motion should also then be able to provide a definition of what it is that you're going to be studying um, as far as a problem is concerned, Islamophobia. The, what's, the, what's the definition of Islamophobia? If you're going to study it as parliamentarians, then you should at least know what you're studying. And then there was the other Angus Reid poll that has to do with the popularity of premiers in this country, and I noticed that each and every premier has gone down in popularity uh, between the 15th of June of, this, of last year and uh, the 17th of March of 2017. Every single one of them. Shaki Carroll joins us uh, from uh, Vancouver. She's the vice president of Angus Reid Polling. Shaki, thank you for taking the time, and every single premier has gone down. Uh, every single one of them, and people often ask me, "Where they say, Shachi, what is going on? You know, why, why, why are provincial leaders so generally unpopular?" I mean, it's a good question, but some, as we know, Roy, are dropping a little bit steadier and a little bit further and a little bit more alarmingly than others. Oh yeah, there's one in particular who I think had better be looking over her shoulders to see who from within the party may be wanting to succeed her, and fairly quickly, and that would be Kathleen Wynne, at 12% popularity, 12%. Yeah, and popularity, when we talk about definitions, or what does that really mean, we're not talking about does she get picked first at, at dodgeball. What we're really talking about here is whether or not people approve or disapprove of the job she is doing as premier. 
and you you heard it and you said it exactly only 12 percent just about one in ten ontarians approve of the job she's doing right now and there are a number of reasons for that we've canvassed that because you know at one point her job approval was at 41 percent back in the day it's been declining steadily uh and and uh for a long period of time but it's really uh this big issue with ontario hydro that's that's really kind of put her into a tailspin is she in a position where she might be able to recover and one of the one of the 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 sort of sidebar issues is the lack of visibility of the progressive conservative party leader mr brown and the the absence of the ndp as far as visibility in ontario is concerned now it's kind of leaving the door open for Premier Wynne to maybe take the, you know, decide what the path is going to be, the path of discussion and topic and debate is going to be. Yeah, you know, there there is a lot of political math that's being done at the moment. On the Ontario Liberals' part, there are a flurry of conversations that are no doubt happening uh, ever since Greg Sobera came out and said, hey, I, I'm the one who supported uh, the leadership of Kathleen Wynne, but now I don't see her being able to continue and carry on uh, into the next election. There's a, there are a lot of questions about whether or not institutional and grassroots donors uh, of the Ontario Liberals would stick with the party if Kathleen Wynne was carrying the standard into the next election. And of course, there's another question, which often doesn't go asked or answered, which is, is there anyone really logically waiting in the wings? Because if there isn't anyone better, isn't it better for her to just sort of continue to stick around? This would be the argument that some would be making within the ranks of the Ontario Liberals, to just stick around and see it through, because uh, who needs a a big leadership shakeup if it's going to give us no bump in the polls. So you look at that. But on the other hand, you know, politics are strange things and stranger things have happened than a comeback, although a comeback at 12 percent. Uh, I mean, the odds are not on it. it. It is it is increasingly looking like this is not something that Kathleen Wynne can turn around. Unless, of course, Ontario, uh, Ontarians uh, all open up their hydro bills in two or three months and say, well, that's better. All is forgiven. I don't see it happening, but let's see. We, uh, we, we might see that happening. Ontario voters have done odd things in the past. Are there other provinces, other leaders, other provincial premiers who caught your attention, particularly in the survey? Well, this wasn't a great outing for Bradwall. I mean, you and I have talked uh, at length in the past about sort of this this aura of Bradwall. He is consistently the most uh, popular premier uh, in the country, the most approved of, and and generally uh, has approval ratings well over and above 60%. Uh, Bradwall's uh, and the Saskatchewan economy have run into trouble. Uh, There was a deficit after years and years of, of balanced budgets and surplus budgets that was supposed to be projected at under half a million dollars, under a half a billion dollars, but 400 million that has now ballooned to 1.3 billion. Uh, he's had to introduce an increase in the sales tax. And this is a guy who was once sitting at 67, 66, almost 71 percent approval. I mean, that's unheard of. He's now sitting at 52 percent approval, which in the great perspective, is a level and a number most provincial politicians would kill for, they would stab for, they would pray <laughs> for. 
Uh, and certainly Kathleen Wynne would be at the moment. But uh, Brad Wall has been caught in a, in, a, in a sustained downward trend for a while. And let's see if he can convince this, uh, people in his province that, hey, I really do have it figured out. We've hit a bit of a wobble, and let's see where we go next. Or whether or not they're going, you know what, maybe you aren't Mr. Wonderful after all. But we'll watch and see. Yeah, 52% puts him at the highest rating of any premier in the province, or in the That's country. Right. But uh, and, and yet uh, that, a drop that of speaks six, volumes. It speaks volumes, as does a drop of six points in one quarter. Uh, so you know, we it's uh, I, I would I would agree. Let's put this in perspective at a moment. At the moment, still the most popular in the country, still uh, well loved by by more than half of his people. But it used to be close to three quarters. Yeah. Can you stay with us a little longer? Just need to take a break, and then I'd like to ask you about the uh, polling on M one hundred three. Yeah, I'm hanging around. Okay. Thank you, Jackie Curl is the uh, Vice President of Angus Reid Polling. She's joining us from uh, British Columbia. So why did 201 MPs vote to support, study, and report back on M103 when the MP who brought forward the motion is unable to provide a definition of Islamophobia? You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Now, getting on to M103, 201 MPs uh, for M103, Shachi 91 were opposed um, can you break down for us how the average Canadian who doesn't have a parliamentary office saw this particular motion differently from the MPs? They were really divided on this one, Roy. There, there was a great deal of uncertainty. So at the end of the day, uh, I can't say most, but the plurality, the, the, the most number said that they would vote against it. That was 42%. So not quite a majority, but, but a greater group than anyone else. About 30% said they would vote for it, and the other 30% said they didn't know what to do, and they ultimately would have abstained from that vote. So if you take the abstainers out, it would have been defeated. Uh, and that really speaks to some, some existential division around this issue. So, you know, we agree with a lot of things when it comes to uh, the, the issue at hand, but we're not so sure that this is the right way, this motion was the right way to be going about it. And I'll explain that. The majority in this country do believe that Canada has an increasing problem with anti-Muslim attitudes and sentiment. They are definitely of the opinion that the shooting at that mosque in St. Foy was a sign of a deeper problem in the country when it comes to anti-Muslim attitudes. But at the same time, they weren't convinced that Forget legislation. This thing was a non-binding motion. It was a request to government to study something. And, and, and really the question was, in the minds of Canadians, is this the right way to be fighting these anti-Muslim attitudes and sentiments? Is this the right way to be going about it, or is this simply symbolic? And the thing that was most telling for me was that only, only one in ten Canadians, Roy, actually thought this motion would have any impact on improving anti-Muslim attitudes, anti-Muslim discrimination in the country, and 30% thought that it would infringe on freedom of speech. Would it have made a difference had there been a, a, a tight definition of what Islamophobia means? What it is these MPs will actually go away and talk about? 
You know, uh, we we didn't ask that question specifically, and nor do I have a crystal ball, but common sense tells me, depending on what that definition was, it probably would have made a difference, because we would have at least known exactly what everyone was talking about and been on the same page. It might have made a difference uh, had uh, the motion been amended to include all different uh, faiths and, and, uh, and groups who might be uh, on the receiving end of discrimination and, and discrimination discriminatory uh, talk, feeling, action in this country. Uh, there, there was a lot of room for woulda, coulda, shoulda. But I think at the end of the day, this one is really a bit of a pox on both houses, where the Liberals in many corners are seen to have been playing politics with this issue. And the Conservatives, even though they did propose an amendment by voting against it, certainly uh, have the, uh, the run the risk of turning off would-be voters, especially in urban centers and more diverse centers of the country. You know, their base may have been very much on side, but you can't win an election with just your base in this country. I don't think either side ended up showing particularly well on this one. Was there a demographic breakdown? Yeah, there was, absolutely. You saw younger people more inclined to say that they'd vote for it and more inclined to say that they understood what the issue was about and believe that Islamophobia, or as we defined it, we tried to be a bit more precise, anti-Muslim attitudes and discrimination uh, was was a real thing. And they, they said that they would be more inclined to get behind it. Older Canadians, more skeptical. You tended to see the same thing in terms of a gender split. Women uh, more kind of equivocal on the issue, a little bit more unsure. Men more likely to take a harder line and just say, we're voting no. And uh, you tended to see it across the country, too, in different ways. So looking at these numbers, looking at what you found out from uh, demographically and just regionally, and looking at the big number that you saw, when the actual report comes out 240-odd days from now, is there going to be um, a likely great interest in in, in what the report says, or do these numbers suggest that when it comes, it's going to be a whole home response? Well, you know, I would like to think that in a, in a perfect Canadian world, it would be a, a bit of a uh, a little bit in, in between, in that we don't want it to be a ho-hum response when six people are murdered for simply practicing their religion uh, in their house of worship. But at the same time, my fear is that when this report comes out, uh, the, the conversation will once again turn to the uglier side of this, of this discussion, which is, you know, is it overblown? Or are we being too sensitive? That kind of thing rather than really sort of saying, okay, let's let's look this in the mirror, let's face this, let's not play politics, and that goes for both sides. That goes for both sides. And if we have a problem and if we acknowledge we have a problem, let's get real and let's think about some constructive ways to deal with this, rather than one side saying, if you're not with us on this, you're a bigot, and the other side saying, there's no problem here. Yeah, because we also had a situation in Montreal where an imam has been accused of hate speech at a mosque. And, and so we have, we have these um, highly emotional situations that, that uh, are reported on, and then there's the visceral response that, that takes place. Uh, th- there's a lot going on right now. And one of the things that I don't like, Shachi, and we only have about two minutes here, is that politicians just seem to have this, particularly in the last couple of years, not all, some, seem to have this determination to point the to, to, to ascribe the label racist too freely and too indiscriminately. Well, 
that may be, but, you know, uh, speaking uh, on the side of someone who's been on the receiving end of racism and certain amount of discrimination, I don't boo-hoo about it, but at the same time, it is real. So I think we, we have two problems. We have one problem where, uh, you're right, some people may be too quick to ascribe that word for simply asking a question or simply saying, well, what are we actually talking about here, or why are we approaching a problem or an issue this way? That doesn't make me a racist to express some skepticism. Absolutely not. But at the same time, I think we also have some issues with uh, with uh, a sense that, that there are others who would like to hide maybe some reluctance or reticence to really kind of uh, accept what's happening, which is that the, the face of this country is changing behind issues such as free speech or, or a perceived threat to their freedom. At the end of the day, Roy, we still live in a very, very free country. But I'll leave you with this. I recognize and accept, and this is something I say when I give talks and I give speeches, we are not the totally welcoming, accepting, tolerant country that we like to think we are. And that's a controversial thing to say, but it's true. And guess what? We're not even a hundred years from the Exclusion Act that prevented people from Asia and a lot of colored folks from emigrating legally to this country. We're not even 60 years from First Nations in this country having the right to vote. We're only a couple of generations removed from some pretty hardline, discriminatory, bigoted views. So I would like to think that we'd have actually come a long way, but we need to recognize that we've got further to go, and it's got to come with time, and it will come with time. But, you know, there's shock that some folks still don't uh, get on board with this idea of a multicultural utopia. Well, guess what? That's life, and 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 it's going to take time. It will take at least another generation. Yeah, and keep in mind to feel for people to feel comfortable. In the few seconds we have left, let's keep in mind that the report, when it comes out on Islamophobia, two hundred and forty days plus from now, will be following European elections, which many argue are being fought on at least fundamentally. If you break if you break right down to the nucleus of what the elections are about, will be race. So there's a lot to talk about. Shaki, it's, uh, it's always great talking to you. I, I appreciate it so much. You're, uh, you should be doing this for a living. <laughs> always a pleasure. Roy. Have me back anytime. Take care. Bye-bye. There's Shachi Curl from uh, Angus Reed. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. It is time for the beauties and me. Catherine Swift, WorkingCanadians.ca, doing double duty today on the on with us in the first hour as we talked about extending parental leave to 18 months. And then, Catherine, we got into a discussion a little bit later about uh, whether children are better, uh, do better with uh, two-income or, or one-income family reality. And it was, it was quite amazing. We had some terrific calls. And thank you for doing the double duty. Well, it, I, I'm, I'm just thankful you doubled my pay, Roy. Oh, of course. <laughs> There's no question. Sometimes zero is still zero. <laughs> no, I was going to say to Michelle and Linda, don't you guys be starting to ask for raises. <laughs> Always happy to do it with the Eastley one. <laughs> but I'm driving a nice car. <laughs> so am I, Roy. <laughs> so are you, Linda. And you have nicer car, a nicer car than me, and you have, well, more, than, you have so. more than one. We're going to park our two cars side by side, and uh, yes, I think we have. We'll see who wins. <laughs> yeah, it's just like uh, that's just like well, Michelle's in California. You know what the California Grand Prix is, right, Michelle? Yes. You do. Does it involve yes. golf cart? No, that's where two seniors go and fill up their cars. Then they drive back home, 
and they park in their driveways, right? They leave the car in park, and they put their foot down on the gas, and the first one to run out of gas is the winner. <laughs> well, I heard a slightly different version. <laughs> I'm but sure close you did. Enough. Yeah. Oh my. So, why don't we start with the budget? Why not? Okay. Should we? Who do we start yeah. with? Should we start with the uh, member of parliament, the former MP? Oh, bad place to start. What can I say? Um, it, in many respects, it was like a whole hum budget, and uh, we're still kicking cans down the road. You know, it, we're using money that was announced last year dressing it up to look like something new this year. And a lot of the uh, cans that we're kicking down the road will be for 2019, uh, and we know that's an election year. Uh, There was really, to my way of thinking, nothing of major significance or that was was new. They, They tried to make it sound so, but I didn't see it. Uh, Linda, what do you see? What did you get out of this uh, oh. out of this budget? All these promises when you got elected, and now you're right, he's kicking them down the road, probably for the election year. Um, but it's this wait and see attitude, and really kind of blaming Trump in a way. Well, we're just not sure what's going to happen thanks to the United States, and so we have to hold off on a number of the promises that they made. But it's the little stuff in this budget that sort of irritates me, Roy. Canada savings bonds, come on, this is an institution in Canada. And I think I sent you an email uh, saying my friend once was the CEO, Paul Martin appointed her as head of the Canada Investment Savings Corporation. And I remember her back there being afraid that they would get rid of Canada savings bonds. That was back in the 1990s. And by the way, I matched her up with Frank Clayton. Jackie Orange married Frank Clayton, and it's a happy, happy marriage, I will say, from a personal <laughs> note. But Jackie must be stunned that they have given up on Canada savings bonds. And to me, you know, you start a new job, you go on a payroll deduction. It's a great way for our children to learn to save. But, of course, the interest rates are low, and they say the banks are too competitive. And what are the banks? They're under the watch because they've been aggressively selling mm-hmm. Canadians, so they're on the hot seat right now. I just think it's a travesty. Also, obviously, more crackdowns on tax, tax evaders, but it's not going to go with the Panama files. They're probably going to go after the hairdresser and the easy-picking stuff one more time. But One more time, yeah. Catherine, uh, we talked a bit about the extension of parental leave, but what else uh, caught your attention as well, far as this budget is concerned? I think the baffle gab uh, was something, and every budget from any political party contains baffle gabs. So let's just get that right off the table at the beginning. But this was supposedly the first gender budget. What? What? What is? What is that all about? Well, I still don't have a clue, but obviously there's there's uh, so much. Uh, wording and verbiage that goes on with this particular government about how feminist they are and everything, and yet it it, it didn't translate into anything real at all. Um, There were some worrisome things in it for businesses. We already talked about an increase in um, uh, parental leave, but also increase in EI premiums, uh, sharp reduction in support for drilling activity in Alberta, which was kind of interesting. And 
for for an industry that has driven the Canadian economy, has provided transfer payments to so many other provinces coming out of Alberta for many, many decades now, and granted it ebbs and flows, as, as do oil prices. But I just thought, man, you know, this Trudeau's just like his old man. Yeah. It's the West. The, ge- the gender prism, bad news. Catherine, the gender prism <laughs> that they would be using for this particular budget I already know would relate to the 10,000 daycare spaces, like there's no fathers out there, that they propose. And then they've attributed the $11.2 billion for affordable housing like the only the single moms can access. So it's it's just gobbledygook. It is gobbledygook, and it's, it's just, I mean, this government in general... And, and like I say, every government has an element of it, but they are all PR all the time. Do you know what I think? What you know what I think? Marketing exercise, yeah. not a governing government. You know what I think when yeah. I when I when I look at what they do and what the way they explain things makes me feel like they are live. They live in abject terror every day of being hurled back into opposition by the by the electorate. So everything they're doing. Everything the way the way they're phrasing things, the way they're delivering uh, their their platforms, everything is 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 aimed at. Please don't do that to us again. It's hype. Please don't it's do that to us again. Hype. Yeah. You know, I think you're onto something, Roy. Yeah, it just feels that way to me. It's just like absolute terror of being back in third place and being yeah. totally irrelevant to what goes on in Parliament. And they're doing everything and anything they possibly can to make sure that doesn't happen again. Well, they're doing nothing, so. That, well, there you go. But also, there is that. There is certainly that liberal arrogance thing, which everybody said that's their kryptonite is the old arrogance thing, um, and we saw that in spades with one of the other topics, which was on our list today, which was that motion M one hundred and three. Okay, let me take a quick break, and then we'll talk about that when we uh, come back. And Linda sent us an email as well, and Catherine, you alluded to this: the uh, liberal government, the Trudeau government, planning to end tax allowances for small or for oil firms. Yeah. who seek to drink, uh, drill new wells, in, uh, particularly in Alberta. So we'll talk about that as well. M103, uh, Keystone Pipeline, Mr. Trump loves it. So off we go. And, uh, and the uh, Alberta reality where the federal liberals allowing allowances, tax allowances for oil firms who are drilling new wells. Stay with us. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML. Catherine Swift, Michelle Simpson, Linda Leatherdale, WorkingCanadians.ca, at Michelle uh, Simpson, and uh, LindaLeatherdale.com, independent business journalist. Okay, Catherine, you wanted to uh, speak to the issue of the M103. Go ahead, please. Oh, boy. Yeah, well... I watched some of the uh, proceedings in the House of Commons, which always is challenging because you, you know, have to keep the have to keep the barf uh, bag close. It seems, but um, the, the smugness, the smugness, the entitlement, just seemed to ooze out of uh, a number of the Liberals that were key, you know, key point people on this particular issue, and. I, I, I know I'm cynical because I've been maybe too long in this <laughs> in this public policy game, but that whole issue, in my view, was designed to be a wedge issue uh, to make conservatives look bad, 
And yet, what what seems to have happened ultimately, and there was a public opinion poll, as you probably saw late last week, that showed the majority of Canadians did not like this motion. Now, we spoke with uh, with your former uh, yeah, CFIB friend, Shachi yes, Curl, yes, was on the show. My former colleague yeah. at CFIB, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, it was an Angus Reid poll that showed that, I think it was 70%, it was quite a you know good goodly majority, uh, did not like this motion at all. And I guess it was such a phony debate. What got me was the, the, the supporters of it kept saying things like, oh, it's just a motion. It doesn't mean anything. Well, if it doesn't mean anything, then why are you bothering to, to make such a, you know, amazing case to, to have this, you know, push forward and so on and so forth? And, and of course, I, I guess in a way, the upside was it actually probably engaged a lot of Canadians that normally wouldn't have been paying attention to that. It was a common. So maybe that's a good thing, because I always think people should pay more attention, and then they'll realize what, what, you know, how disgracefully their tax dollars are being used. But it just, it just made me ill, I guess, that, that this – it was really kind of a phony issue, because we've already got tons of legislation that prevents discrimination on the base of religion and so on and so forth. And it was a political exercise, and I, I do hope it will blow up. In, in the liberal space or, or, or any party that would propose something like this because it was meant to be a wedge issue. It was meant to divide people. It succeeded in doing that. But how ugly, you know, how, how is that a good use of our time in, in our national legislature? I, well, I just don't get that. Point. You know, uh, Linda, what I, what I said uh, earlier was how, you have 201 MPs who voted for M103. You have 91 who voted against it. So you have a strong majority, and they're all going to go away for 240 days now, or the committee will, and they'll, they'll, they'll discuss how to put an end to Islamophobia. But they provided no definition of what Islamophobia oh. is. So how do, you go, how do you go and debate something when you don't have a def- definition of what it is? Exactly. And I've been listening to your whole show today, and uh, oh my goodness, Roy. And also, you know what really riles me? It almost is coming back and throwing it in our face again. We're racist. And the other point is, it's not just, you know, there has been an increase, according to Benai Brith, um, of hatred towards Jews again. So, come on, guys, whatever. But I am just sick of the finger being pointed in our face. We, we are not for the environment. Earth Night, I'm not turning off my lights, let me tell you. I might oh, come on. Candle for Turn off your lights. <laughs> come on. Come on. One of us has to. One of us. And... But it's just that it's always pointed in our face. And one of your callers I'm said pointing it. my finger at your face. Turn off your lights. Oh, God. <laughs> and one of your callers said it. We're afraid to speak up anymore because the finger's always pointed at us. Yet we're footing the bell for this country. But that's the whole point of this type of debate is to shut people up. We yeah. supposedly have free speech. Yeah. And, and yet... The whole, the whole notion, I mean, Kathleen Wynne in Ontario, where we all reside, uh, is, you know, any, anything you say that, she, that disagrees with any of her policies, suddenly you're a racist, a sexist, a homophobe, or, you know, whatever. You, 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 you got, which is... Which is yeah, and she's, a, and she's a 12% of the polls. Well, that, that, so. That's another story, and maybe that should be a lesson for the federal liberals, too. Do you know what, guys yep. and gals? Do you know We're what? Time, right? It should be a lesson to each and every one of them because the other Angus Reid poll, Michelle, showed that all premiers, each and every one of them, with the exception of Brad Wall, is below 50%. Yeah. A significant majority of them, if an election were held today, they would not have any reasonable chance, I think, of being reelected if you look at the polling numbers. And Ms. Wynn is so far down, you can't see her anymore. No. When did our government have- become something? 
to pursue some kind of whack whack job agenda instead of serving the people that voted them. They don't know how to serve the people because they're not used to it. That seems to be where things are at, with some exceptions like Brad Wall. Now, I shouldn't say they they don't want to serve people because they're not used to it, because Michelle Simpson did serve her constituents and was punished for it. She was a rarity. So, Michelle, when, uh, when, when we talk about all these things, uh, and you know how it works inside the building. I mean, you all three do, but you've been inside the building as a, as a member of parliament. Uh, how much of it is manipulation and how much of it is honest? Oh, it's almost totally manipulation. And uh, What a surprise. It's really and truly, uh, you know, I, I can't stress that enough. And isn't that a sad thing to have to state, eh? It is. Like, uh, it, that motion that is, you know, M103, that is a government's way of, and it's, uh, Catherine was exactly right, wedge issues. The premiers do the same thing. And, and again, what I get down to is how does that benefit us average folks trying to get by, you know, feed our family, have a half decent life. What and benefits? We spend a ton of money on this government, on all governments, all governments. Yeah. We well, spend can, a yeah. lot of our money goes to them, and they misuse it in this kind of garbage way. Hey, yeah. Roy, can I say something? Yes, we have forty-five seconds. They're 45 yours. Forty-five seconds. I listened to your whole thing about staying at home with the kids, and I just want to yeah. put this out there to my mom who took care of nine children, and we all did well. And in my heart of hearts, I really believe that the kids need their parents. So I, it's tough because we all have to work, and I remember trying to afford a home and two incomes. Is, they, the banks have made it this way. We have to, to get a mortgage. It takes two. But what you said resonated in my heart, Roy, and sure. thanks to my mom. So this is a tribute to my mom. <laughs> all right, and, and, and is Leatherdale is your mom's last name, right? I'm sorry? Is your mom's last name Leatherdale? No, McDonald. My Leatherdale's my maiden name. My mom is a McDonald, and believe it or not, I married a McDonald. Uh-oh. McDonald, McDonald, McDonald. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff. You deserve a break like today, that. Linda. <laughs> M-A-C, capital D. <laughs> I got to go. Thanks, guys. Okay. Gal. Thank you, Beauties. Roy. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on AM 900 CHML.